Hey, we're glad to have you here with us today at One Chapel. We're a church in Austin that helps people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about One Chapel and the things God is doing here at onechapel.com. Now, here is this week's message. Here's what I want to do. I want to brag on each of our campuses before I get into the message. It is a miracle what we're experiencing at One Chapel. And I want to just give a little shout out to all of Team One everywhere in all three campuses, especially the sign teams. They were out in the rain this morning, really big, and uh, we appreciate you so much. But I, I, I was thinking about Kyle because uh, about 7.30, all their power went out. No power at Evo Entertainment Center right out here on 35. They're, they're in a movie theater, and they're just, I, I have no idea what you're experiencing this morning, Kyle, but God bless you. God has a purpose and a plan for you this morning. And so I just am so grateful for Pastor Brent, who is an incredible communicator, an incredible leader and creative. And uh, I I think about Kyle and how you're reaching into the community where you are. Uh, You know, um, just recently, Pastor Brent was asked because of their work in their, uh, the elementary school that they've adopted, Camino Real Elementary, he was asked to come and do some leadership training uh, for, for teachers and staff at that elementary school and just made an investment there. It's so good. So, so good. I remember the first time that we launched One Chapel Kyle, launch Sunday. We had no idea if anybody was going to show up. Turns out the place was packed, people hungry for Jesus. And they've been growing ever since that Sunday. Incredible. And then there's, of course, One Chapel Lake Travis, led by led by Pastor Russ Walker. And he, listen, this Pastor Russ is such an amazing leader, an incredible Bible teacher and counselor. I'm just so grateful for him and so grateful that he's on our team. And I I love One Chapel, Lake Travis. Um, They kind of started in a different way. Uh, We adopted them into our family. But honestly, um, we're learning so much from them. They are a hospitable people. I mean, you guys are amazing. I always hated potlucks before I went to one of yours. (laughs) Maybe that's because I live in Austin. I don't know. But uh, there is something special on One Chapel Lake Travis that takes care of people, and I'm so grateful for you. In fact, recently, One Chapel Lake Travis rallied around uh, the worship leaders there, uh, Hayden Lillard, Hayden and Annalise. They've got some, uh, a new baby, hasn't even been born yet, who has some huge challenges ahead. In fact, they're getting ready to, to move to, uh, to Houston for about 8 or 12 weeks while they have the baby so that they can have the proper care. And that community has rallied around them. They, they, they actually raised $20,000 to help them with the medical costs. It's an incredible thing. Let One Chapel Lake Travis, you're amazing. I appreciate you so much. And then, of course, One Chapel Austin. I love you guys. It's like we're, we're, we're in this commercial office building on the southwest side of Austin. We've been in a high school. We've, we've, we've been in a movie theater. I mean, we say we make secular places into sacred spaces. We do that wherever we go. And you guys are the ones who started it. In fact, I'm so proud of you. You have launched two campuses. 
You've launched two campuses. You did this with your prayers and with your heartbeat and mission for our region. And I'm kind of excited today. There's a fourth campus coming. I'm going to announce it. I'm going to announce it on Easter Sunday. So it's going to be super fun. I'm not going to say too much more about that because about that we're wrapping up the details. We're getting it all worked out. It's going to be somewhere up north. So, okay, calm down. So I'm so excited about that. Our family keeps going and keeps growing. For those of you, for those of you at Lake Travis and Kyle, that was a powerful thunder right there, emphasizing my point. Because here's the, here's the thing. We must keep growing. We have a mandate. We have a commission. We have a calling. God puts something on us as a people. And we have to listen to what he's saying to us. We have to be willing to give of ourselves for the sake of the gospel in this region. People need Jesus so desperately. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to think deeply about that calling that is on our church. And I want you to embrace it. And I know life is hard. I know every one of us have struggles. And part of the reason that is is because we're in a, in a war. We're wrestling not with people. We never fight with people. We're fighting principalities and powers is what the Bible says. We're, we're fighting something spiritual. And, and so I just want to encourage you to give of yourself to allow God to take you from where you are to where he wants you to be and that we'll help other people do that. And um, one of the most important things we can remember is that we have a namesake in the scripture. John 17, the prayer of Jesus. He prayed this prayer. He says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that, look at this, look at this. He's praying for unity. He's praying that we will be united. He's praying that we will be one, but he gives a reason. It's not just so we can all get along. There's a reason for it, and it's so the world will believe that you sent me. Listen, I believe there is an evangelistic strategy here that we have to understand That's why God called us to be a multi-locational church. That's why God called us to plant at least 10 churches over over 10 years. Because we can be part of the work God is doing. We're not the only work. There's a whole bunch of churches that believe in this. But we have to believe in it deeply. And I think God is doing something in unifying the body of Christ in Austin. And we're part of that. And when we show that, let's, let's, I mean, let's be real. Our culture is so messed up with divisiveness, with, with just disunity. When they see any group of people in unity, they, they pay attention. It's like a miracle. And I think we have to understand this. And as three, four, five, six campuses working together, we don't compete with one another. We actually collaborate for the sake of the gospel in this city. We share our resources. We share our strategies. We don't compare who we are with each other. We cooperate with each other. And, and when we do that, when we love each other, in fact, in John 16, just a chapter before this, 
Jesus said, you, they will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. They'll see it. I want to encourage you today to embrace that. This is who we are. We are countercultural. And, and listen, we're living in a day when we need to be countercultural. And I, I, I encourage you to love each other, to protect each other, to serve each other, and then to invite others to join us in the way of following Jesus. Amen? And that really leads us to our subject today in the book of James. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me in the book of James. And uh, we've been doing a message series where we're going through the book of James. If you need message notes, the ushers are in the aisles and and they have them for you. Uh, At least they are here. I hope they are where you are. Um, (laughs) One of the things that you'll see as we go through the book of James is that it is one of the most practical books in the whole New Testament. And uh, I've been describing it uh, to Austin as a punch in the face, only in a good way. It's a a book that is really the how-to manual for the Christian life. And so we're going to look today in James chapter 4. And we're going we're gonna to go through the first 10 verses of that chapter, and we're going to look at what James says about how to avoid arguments. How to avoid arguments. Turn to your person sitting next to you. Oh, this should be fun, right? Say it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that when it comes into our hearts and into our lives, it brings light. And so, Lord, we give you our hearts. We open up and we receive what you have for us. Would you give us your grace then to obey, to do what you've called us to do? In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 4, verse 1 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. (laughs) James is so kind. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now here in these verses, James is talking about how to avoid arguments with people. The key verse in this section is in fact verse one. Look at it again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, James says the cause of arguments is conflicting desires. When my wants conflict with your wants, sparks are going to fly. And there's a 
process here, you see it in little children sometimes. <laughs> and whether or not they're going to touch that stove after they've been told not to touch it. There's a conflict that battles within them. I want to touch it. I want to touch it. Nowhere do we see this battle on display more accurately than in marriages. Marriage has built-in conditions for conflict. For those of you who are married, think about the things you expected of your spouse before you got married. <laughs> How idealistic and unrealistic you were about marriage. You had this idea that, of who they were going to be, <laughs> and then those expectations dashed on the rocks of reality. Happens to everybody. One of the exercises I take premarital couples through is through their own expectations of each other. But what a rude awakening the day you woke up. It's inevitable when you get close to a person, when you get close to anybody, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or a work relationship or, or somebody that you're doing work with at, a, at the PTA or whatever, or even at church, when you can become connected to relationships, you're going to discover conflicting desires. It's just part of the, it's part of the way it works. And that can create conflict. So what causes arguments? Let's look at it more closely. What causes arguments? I want to suggest to you that these three ideas are about one simple word, and that word is pride. There's nowhere to write that in, so just write it next to the question. What causes arguments? I think it's pride. It's this, it's this big overarching thing that happens in our lives. I want you to notice here in these verses, James says there are three desires that will cause arguments. First, the desire to have. The desire to have. Verse 2 says, you desire but do not have, so you kill. <laughs> well, that seems excessive. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. See, we want to have our way, and not only do we want to have our way, we want things we want things. It happens very early on. One of the first words any little tiny human learns is mine. Mine. And we just love our things. It seems like we have this insatiable appetite for things. And the reason why this desire creates so many problems in our lives is because we get it out of order. God created things for you to enjoy and to use. That's what they're there for. But we end up loving things, which is so wrong because the correct order is we got to use things and love people. Use things and love people, not the other way around. The problem is we get this out of where we start loving things and using people, manipulating them, controlling them, moving them around to get what we want because things become more important than people. Someone asked Howard Hughes, the great inventor, how much does it take to make a man happy? And his answer was brilliant. He said, just a little bit more. See, the thrill wears off really quickly. If you decide to base your life on comparing it to other people, you will never be happy no matter how much you get. There's always something more, and we've got to learn to deal with the desire to have. Number two, what causes arguments? The desire to feel good. The desire to feel good. When you ask, you do not receive, verse 3 says, because you ask with wrong motives. 
that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, every one of us have this desire to feel good, to be comfortable, to have my senses satisfied. We live in a convenience culture. It's around us everywhere. Everybody's trying to comfort you. That's what's led to the out-of-control opioid crisis in our country. This desire to feel good. See, here's, here's the deal. When pleasure becomes the number one goal in your life, this kind of idea, if it feels good, do it, then you're just asking for conflict. And see, when I'm driven by what makes me feel good, it will inevitably cause conflict with others because I'm more interested in making sure that my needs are met than I am in making sure your needs are met. I'll put it this way. Pleasure is a wonderful servant but a terrible master. Pleasure is not necessarily the enemy. Understand that pleasure is not forbidden for those of us who follow Jesus. But as C.S. Lewis brilliantly put it, we are too easily satisfied with all the wrong things. We take pleasure from the wrong things. God actually wants us to realize that all true pleasure has its origin in Him. Selfish pleasure is what James is highlighting here. Selfish pleasure is always short-term and unsustainable. The desire for self-gratifying pleasure is what James is, is identifying, and the desire to feel good will always stir up arguments if we don't know how to deal with it. Third, what causes arguments is the desire to be. The desire to be. This is pride. Power, prominence, popularity. Everybody wants to be famous in American culture. <laughs> Everybody wants other people to look at them. I want to be number one. I want to be influential in the world. It's the desire to have me first. Didn't Frank Sinatra sing it? What did he sing? I did it my way. <laughs> that was pretty good. Listen, we, we live in a me-centered culture. We walk around saying, watch me. Watch me by the way I dress. Watch me by the kind of clothes I buy. Watch me by the kind of car I drive. Watch me by the kind of things I stock my house with. It's a desire to impress people. Verse 4 points it out. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, what is James saying here? What he's identifying as friendship with the world means that you're gravitating to its desires. You're gravitating to its paradigms. You're gravitating to its cultural norms. And James is highlighting the most significant sin of the world we live in, which is pride and the desire to to say to everyone, I'm impressive. I, I've got it all together. I've got this. It's one of the worst things we can do as the people of God is try to convince everybody else, oh, we got this together. We come to church. We sit in nice little even rows. We have everything settled. No, you don't. And I'm telling you, the world is not looking for people who have it all together. They're looking for people who understand they don't have it all together and they need help from a Savior. That's what they need. That's what they want. They want you to admit where you really are. 
and not hide behind a mask. Instead, we kind of gravitate to this idea. I want the world to see that, that I, I, I can do this. I'm full of myself and I don't care what anyone else thinks. Here's what Proverbs 13.10 says. It says, pride leads to conflict. See, pride always leads to arguing, quarreling, and conflict. Have you ever been in an argument where you knew that you were wrong, but you wouldn't admit it? I have just about every day. Why do we not want to admit it? Because of pride. Pride causes the arguments. I have this experience with my wife, Amy. And I'm trying to really get the pride out of her. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But we do have this, this back and forth thing where she, if she's going through something and, and we'll start talking about it, she'll, she'll start talking about it and it'll just all come out and she's kind of venting to me and I'll immediately go to fixing it. Babe, all you need to do is this, 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 this. Why don't you just do this? What's your problem? She's like, can you just let me vent? Is it okay? You're the only one I do this to. You can't trust me to vent. You can't trust me to, to say these things to you and not say them to other people. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and, and first of all, I want to point this out. Anybody's attempt at fixing things is prideful at the end of the day. It's like, oh, I can fix this. <laughs> and then she gets angry at me and starts kind of digging her heels in, and we have this thing, and we get, and it's like, I've learned 27 years of marriage, I need to just listen and allow her to vent and trust her that she can process through it with me. But it's so easy for arrogance, pride, to enter in as we wrestle through difficult issues. Here in these verses, James doesn't only tell us the problem that we have with conflicts. He also shows us the keys to overcoming them. So let's look at verse 6. He says, but he gives us more grace. Oh, that's such a great, that's such a, you should just write that in your notes. He gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, verse 10 says, and he will lift you up. The key to overcoming conflict with others is humility. Write it right there uh, beside four ways to avoid conflict. Just write it, big capital letters, humility. Write it next to that word arguments, and we're going to go through it. Number one, James highlights the way to avoid arguments is to give in to God. Give in to God. Verse 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. In other words, let God be in charge of your life. Give Him control. Put, put Him in a place of honor in your life. Yield yourself to Him. See, this is the starting point for Humility. We need to quit trying to run our own lives. Verse 1 says, your desires that battle inside of you. James says conflict happens with other people because you have conflict on the inside going on. And so if you're in charge, then anytime somebody comes along that doesn't go the way you want to go, then you get uptight, you get irritated. 
You get upset. You want things to go just the way you want them to go. And when they don't go that way, you get angry. If God's in charge of your life, it doesn't irritate you that much. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. I've heard it kind of all my life. It's hard to fight with a dead man. You see, when you give your life to Christ, you yield to allowing your flesh to die and to receive the life that only Christ can bring. And when you decide to give in to Him in that way, it's really, it's really significant because it means you're not as angry or irritated by all kinds of other things people do because you've settled it. You're not the one in charge. You're not the one in control. God is, and you yield to him. Sadly, you have to do it every morning. You have to do it every morning because you run out during the day. You run out of the will, the want to, to surrender. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning, and so often I run out of them the day before. But he has new ones for you every morning. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule. Everybody say rule. Rule in your heart. See, when we have the peace of Christ in our heart, then we're at peace with other people. If we don't have this in our life, God's peace in our hearts, then we try to manipulate. We try to uh, uh, kind of redirect others all the time. We're trying to control them and trying to move them around to get what we want. The word rule actually has this fundamental idea in it of an umpire, which means the verse is really saying, let the peace of Christ become the umpire of your heart. In other words, let him make the calls. Let him say what's a strike and what's a ball. Not you. You don't need to decide who's right and who's wrong all the time. You don't have to do that. Well, Pastor Ross, but what if they're wrong? (laughs) Get used to it. This is the life we live in. It is not your job to prove everyone wrong. One of the worst things that Christians can adopt is this idea, it's my job to prove everybody else wrong. No, it's your job to love people. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them and to lead them and to work in their lives. We got to embrace this idea. So when we give in to God, we're saying, God, thy will be done, not my will be done. Not me first. That's the difference. That's when the peace process starts. Number two, how do we avoid conflicts? How do we avoid arguments? Number two is we got to get wise to Satan. Give in to God. Get wise to Satan. Verse 7 again says, resist. Everybody say resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, be aware, be alert, realize what he's doing, realize where the conflict is actually coming from and that he's the source behind it. Don't be dumb. Don't be ignorant. Be aware. The devil wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy the people around you, your friendships, your relationship with your kids, your relationships at work, your relationship in your marriage. He wants to destroy every good relationship. Why? Because he loves conflict and arguments. He thrives off its power. He wants to cause confusion, arguments, stress, hurt, feelings, disappointment, anger, and chaos. That is his realm. You've got to realize that's what's happening. When you start into having an argument with some, someone, 
the devil himself loves this. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Paul, the Paul the Apostle is saying, Satan should not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. He's got a scheme. The Apostle Paul says we need to wise up. Everybody say it, wise up. We need to recognize the devil's tactics. We need to know how he operates. And the one way he works most effectively in our lives is he plays on our pride, especially wounded pride. Especially when somehow you end up being wrong. When we're in the middle of an argument, he starts whispering in your ear things like, you don't have to take this kind of stuff. Go ahead and retaliate. Who do they think they are? If, you, if that thought ever crosses your mind, you know the origin of it. <laughs> Get even, you might hear in your ear. Assert yourself. Don't put up with that kind of stuff. Show them who's boss. James and the Apostle Paul are both saying the same thing. We need to recognize where those thoughts are coming from and say no to the devil and yes to God. That's what we have to do. I remember this story. My, my fourth born, his name is Ethan, and he got baptized when he was about eight years old. And he really wanted, and the rule in our house is you can be baptized if you can explain it. You can be water baptized because they all want to play in the water. Right, so, so, so we, that's, that's the rule. As soon as you can explain it, he started to be able to explain it at about eight years old. And so he, he's so excited, he gets baptized. It's a great experience for him. Later that week, we hear him. And, and he's fighting with his brother. And he's like, I mean, they are getting into it. And all of a sudden, as they're fighting and yelling at each other, he stops and says, oh, Baptized. baptized and he's and he's like i can't fight with my little brother he got it <laughs> he got it right he got it that day <laughs> he had to get it a lot more times but just like us i need to stop fighting i don't need to live this way anymore that's humility Remember, humility is the key to overcoming arguments and conflicts. And so number three, how do we avoid arguments? We grow closer with God. We grow closer with God. Verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, I want to highlight here that you have a role in coming to him. And you have to welcome him. But make no mistake, he came to you first through the work of Christ. He came to you first by sending his son to our planet to demonstrate who he is, to, to, to share his love through miraculous powers and healings and deliverance. He has already come to you. He's not sort of sitting back like waiting for you. Well, if you ever, you're going to show up, then I'll, I'll lean in. No, he already leaned in. What he's waiting for is the invitation to come into your life He's already come. He's ready. He's leaning into you. It says, come near to God. He comes even nearer to you. And how does this affect arguments? How do you, well, think about it. How do you grow closer to God? Well, you might read the scripture or you might connect to his people, the church. You, you, you might get involved in a small group. You, you might um, spend time talking to him, which is what we call prayer. Right? All these things 
kind of help you grow closer to God. But, and you know what? I've noticed that when I spend more time alone with God, I treat people better. The more time I spend alone with God, the better I get along with other people, which means the argument level, if the argument level rises in our house, somebody's not spending time with Jesus. <laughs> it's that simple. Grow closer with God. And listen, let me tell you, you cannot be passive with your faith. Don't lean away, lean in, just as God is leaning into you. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast. One translation says, Stayed on thee, because they trust in you. Now, what's God's promise here? Think about it. What's the condition? When you spend time with the Lord, you, you turn your thoughts to Him. Then you get along better with others because He keeps perfect peace in your heart. You're not as irritable, not as whiny, not as grumpy. And so this week, I want you to think about it. I want you to get up 15 minutes earlier, and I want you to spend time with God in a greater measure. Maybe start with the book of John in the New Testament, or there's this newfangled thing that we've been doing around here called the Daily Bible Reading in the One-Year Bible. You might not have heard of it. It's the Bible in one year with Nikki Gumbel, and we're all trying to participate in sharing this Bible reading because it really causes great discussions and read and pray. Notice the difference in your attitude and the relationships that you have for the rest of the day. I challenge you to do that. Do it and see what happens. The conflict in your life is in direct proportion to the time you're spending with God. Finally, number four. Number four, grieve and change. Here's where James gets down to it. If you want to stop the conflicts in your life, if you want to get along with other people, if you want to avoid arguments, learn to grieve this kind of behavior. To get in touch with how violating it is to God and His purpose. How damaging it can be to others. Repent deeply over it. Ask for forgiveness from God and from those you have hurt. Verse 8 describes it. James says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Our hands represent our conduct and our hearts represent our attitudes, the way that we treat other people, the way we think about other people. And so, in other words, he's saying, here's what he's saying, clean up your act. Clean it up. Verse 9, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, don't minimize what's happened to you. Don't minimize the hurt. Take it seriously. Be sorrowful for your self-centeredness. Get in touch with the violation, the sinfulness, and the repentance that is truly required to stop acting this way, to stop giving in to the culture you live in, to stop being divisive or even creating disunity or just being totally disconnected and isolated as an individual. Too often we focus so much on just trying to get things right that we move too quickly past the need for godly sorrow to work its way through our lives so that true change can happen. Because it's a big deal when people's feelings get hurt. We have to take it seriously. It's some, if someone says you've hurt them, 
then you've hurt them. Take it. Believe it. It may not be a big deal to you, but it was to them, and you have to understand that. Now, here's the thing. I've got five kids. I've dealt with this a lot. We have a rule in our house, a couple rules. The first rule is you don't get to determine whether or not the other person is hurt. If I had a nickel for every time I heard, that didn't hurt. It's amazing how, like, very early on, that didn't even hurt him. No, you don't get to decide what hurt the other person. That's not your job. If they say it hurts, then you need to admit that you did something that hurt them. And the second rule is we, we, we have correct apologies when you do something. The, the rule is actually no I'm sorry buts. <laughs> no I'm sorry buts. <laughs> you, know, you know what that is? I'm sorry, but you blah, 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 blah. Or, no, I'm sorry if that hurt you. That's not, a, that's not an apology. Here's the standard for a true apology, true repentance. Here it is. It's three things. I'm sorry that I hurt you. Second thing is, I'll try never to do that again. The third is, will you please forgive me? If any one of those are missing, it's not a complete apology. It doesn't close the gap. We try to excuse ourselves so often. We don't ask for forgiveness because we don't want to admit that we're wrong. Hey, did you know that the, the good news of Jesus Christ is sort of contingent on discovering that I was wrong? It starts there. Oh, I'm in trouble. I can't do this by myself. I need help. I need a savior. I need somebody to, who's going to help me live a better life than I'm living right now. It begins there, and there's, a, there's an ask for forgiveness. James 4.17 down in the chapter says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Whoa. If you know what's right and you avoid it, it's sinful for you. I want you to think about the person that you're having a conflict with or arguing with right now. Because a bunch of you are currently involved in an, in an argument of some kind that's kind of ongoing. I want you to think about which of the desires that we've talked about today is causing the conflict with that person. Now, here's the question. Here's several questions. Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to give in to God? Are you willing to recognize Satan's plan to destroy your relationships? Are you willing to grow closer with God? Are you willing to grieve your behavior to repent and ask for forgiveness? Remember, verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is a profound verse because no one wanna, no, none of us want to be in the position of opposing God, but that's what this is. When you're arguing with people all the time, that's what James says happens. That's why it's so significant. Listen, One Chapel, it's significant for our church to understand this and learn this. When a church is filled with arguing or conflict and disunity, we'll get nothing done in the kingdom. And if you think about it, that's why Jesus prayed for his disciples and for us in John 17. Father, make them one like you and I are one. 
so the world will believe that you sent me. I want you to pause right now, and I want all, all over this room and the other campuses, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to bow your head, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to say this prayer out loud with me. I want you to join me, if you're willing, in a prayer of allowing God to root out pride in our lives, arrogance, thinking we know how to do it, or, or, or even, maybe more importantly for you, root out the, the sense of an overactive self-awareness where you're just always thinking about yourself and fearful. See, Jesus can get rid of that too. But you've got to surrender to his love. And so I want, you to, I want you to join with me. And everybody across the campuses, I want you to just say these words after me. Come on, everybody. Heavenly Father. Come on, say it out loud. Heavenly Father. Would you help me to think of others? And not just my own desires. Help me to be willing to admit when I'm wrong. God, today I want to give in to you. I give you my life, my relationships, my career. I submit it all to you. I ask you to put the peace of Christ in my heart to rule. Help me to get wise to Satan. To realize he plays on my pride. Tells me things I want to hear. But really only makes matters worse. Father, help me to grow closer to you. Help me to become like Jesus. To have the attitude he has. To not only look after my own interests but also the interest of those around me. Teach me to say, thy will be done instead of my will be done. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for your word. Use this message in my life this week. Come on, say it. So that I can have more peace in my relationships, less conflict, less strife, less arguing, and more love, more joy, and more peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find everything you need online at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages on your favorite podcast player, and you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. We'll see you next time.